welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cachalillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Cleansing, Kansas Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without any further ado, our guest for today is Daniel McQueen, and he has written a book called Psychedelic Cannabis, Breaking the Gate. Thank you for coming on, Daniel. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Gary. I appreciate it. So what got you into using, combining cannabis with therapy? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I've always, I've always wanted to be a psychedelic guide. Uh, and so I went to school, I've got my master's in counseling at Naropa University in transpersonal counseling with the intention of going into psychedelic therapy work. And as you know, psychedelics aren't yet fully legal. And so that's a major problem if you want to be a, in a profession that's not quite legal. And then um, cannabis became legal in Colorado. Uh, Colorado was one of the first states to uh, have legal adult use cannabis. And it was just a few years after I graduated. And a friend of mine suggested that I consider exploring uh, using cannabis as a psychedelic for psychedelic therapy purposes. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and it was just very effective. I'm, you know, I'm happy to share all about it and uh, started a training program around it. And now we have a center here. Uh, mm-hmm. I have eight therapists and ministers on our team. And it's, uh, you know, an international movement now. Wow. So, yeah. so what the, I, didn't, I mean, I've smoked quite a bit of, of cannabis myself and I never really thought of it as having psychedelic properties. Um, mm-hmm. Does it have psychedelic properties? And is it because of the different strains that are that are grown? Yeah, it does have psychedelic qualities. Uh, the The issue with cannabis as a psychedelic is that as you approach higher doses of THC, it increases the negative side effects of like nausea and anxiety. And so what we've done is we've formulated special blends of different strains and uh, added other cannabinoids to these blends um, so that they reduce the negative traits, um, often associated with stronger doses. So, you know, like you, I, I, I've certainly been in the situation where I've taken too much of an edible, um, and that it elicits these psychedelic like experiences, but they're often accompanied with, um, you know, anxiety or paranoia or just discomfort in the stomach and things. So, um, so when you combine the right strains, like the cannabis today, even just 10 years ago, is mm-hmm. like radically different. And and the cannabis that we had growing up, you know, um, is just a different medicine completely, you know. Um, but when we add the right blends together, it creates a inner, inner visual experience similar to uh, ayahuasca or psilocybin mushrooms. Um, but there's a lot of emotional support around these experiences similar akin to um, MDMA assisted psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of support around it. Um, 
And, you know, the amplification of somatic awareness is a real common trait of a lot of psychedelics. That's very, very uh, uh, pronounced with cannabis. And then like uh, pronounced ideation, creative ideas and all of that is also very pronounced with cannabis. And then there's another area of uh, memory recall, you know, like just greater mm -hmm. access to the subconscious mind um, with these practices. That's very similar to other psychedelics. Um, but, yeah, you can have a full blown psychedelic journey, uh, sometimes really equivalent to even smoking DMT um, uh, with with this with these blends and strains that we have available now. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, do, yeah. do, do you use anything else to enhance these strains or is it still just straight THC? Yeah, so it's all THC. It's all just cannabis. You know, uh, in the very beginning, a friend of mine joked that if she didn't know me or trust me, she would have she swore I would have put DMT in the mix. Um, it was it was that potent. And to be honest, it surprised all of us that it was that potent um, in the beginning. But I've, I've become used to it and it's very reliable as a psychedelic medicine. So it's 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 the THC is like the booster rocket. It gets mm -hmm. you to the place. Um, CBD is like a, um, is a adjunct and it can also be used as an antidote to THC. So if it gets a little too intense, you can take CBD to reduce the intensity and make it a little more manageable. There's another cannabinoid it's called CBN, which is a deep muscle relaxant. And it's also used for um, like a sedative, you know, um, I don't know, like for sleep aid for mm -hmm. people. Um, and so when you add CBN to the THC, it, well, the THC keeps you awake, but the CBN takes a lot of the anxiety out of it. Um, and then the number of the other number one chemical admixture are the terpenes. Um, and terpenes uh, are kind of like a new part of the field of cannabis uh, work. Terpenes are what make it smell different strains smell differently, you know, so if you have an indica strain, you might have a lot of um, uh, the terpene that makes up lavender oil, right? So you think of medicine like terpenes that are relaxing, mm -hmm. lavender and uh, uh, other things like that. And then and then on the sativa side, there are terpenes like pinene, uh, limonene, um, things that wake you up and up are uplifting fragrances. So it's they're just not uh, about how they smell though. They actually have uh, psychological effects. And so when they're combined with THC, these effects get amplified. Um, and so we make these blends that just bring in a lot of different terpenes into mm -hmm. the mix to balance out the blend and then amplify the effects we want and then reduce the common side effects that are associated with stronger doses of THC. You know, so... So again, like when when I was younger, my early 20s, you know, it was just weed, right? There wasn't mm -hmm. any strains or like maybe a good quality weed was called Kind Bud, you know, but even then it was just one thing, you know. Now you can go to the dispensary and pick from 20, 30 different varieties. Yeah. Interesting. You know? um, with the, when you do the therapy sessions, um other than the weed, like, do you use any other tools? Like, one of the things I, I noticed on your website, you talked a little bit about ritual intention. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if you use any type of music or binaural yeah. type of things yeah. um, to get people into, you know, that right state where you're accessing the deepest parts of the subconscious. Yeah, that's right. You know, so 
Cannabis itself is a psychedelic. It doesn't require much else, but creating the right set and setting, you know, like set and setting as a psychedelic um, tool uh, is, is essential. You know, so these these rooms, we have four ther- therapy rooms and we have ministers and we have psychotherapists working in these areas, myself included. Um, my wife is an art therapist, for example, so she might bring in art therapy during some of these uh, experiences. But it's akin to what you, you know, like the traditional practice of uh, psychedelic psychotherapy, where um, we have futons or folding beds in these spaces so people don't have to sit up. Um, there's a place they can lie down. Uh, we have speaker systems in all the rooms so that, uh, and we play specific music sets to help induce a journey experience. And there'll be periods of silence while people are like, on their journey with iFold on um, going into their experience. Um, one piece around intentionality is uh, like we use vaporizers. We would use special vape, like um, uh, uh, what do you call them? Like herbal vaporizers for mm-hmm. the flower. So it's a clean, a clean inhale. And there's an intentional meditation of when people take the medicine so that they're not just smoking, you know, um, we're, you know, we're bringing in like it's a, uh, stepping into it being like a sacred sacrament. Mm. Um, and then uh, after they take the medicine, I invite them to lie down and I guide them through a meditation, um, a relaxation meditation, gentle body scan. Um, and then at that point, after that, um, the client gets to choose how they want to go. They can share what they're experiencing and we can check in and I can guide them to help deepen their process. But some people are very quiet and uh, and and uh, are aren't able to or um, wish to just turn inward. And so we support with a gentle presence and kindness and good music. So, so what type of music do you use? Like, like I know, like, like, I, like you know, I think you and I are probably about the same same age. So we grew up with stuff like Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, yeah, sure, and mm-hmm. Black Sabbath, or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and I guess like now I'm like yeah. a little bit older. Like actually, one of the main types Classic. of music that mm-hmm. I listen to is stoner rock. You know, which mm-hmm. is bands like Caius and Sleep and things like that. Do you use any types yeah. of music like that, or do you use more of like a generic, like um, oh, I don't know what the word is, ambient type of music? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Right, like there's a whole generation of people that smoke pot and listen to these great bands and it's a real big part of the culture of psychedelic um, member you know community members and people who smoke cannabis you know um you know so that would be part of the like the playful creative recreational celebratory aspect of this work mm-hmm. um th- this work what we you know what we're doing is um it, it more like uh, like that type of music is more upbeat you know we're, we're using music to help deepen a process and help people relax into the process. So not, not a ton of rock and roll or anything like that. Although I have played like Metallica as an example, like by request from somebody who um, was in a journey with me. So, you know, most of the music we play doesn't have words to it, right? Because mm-hmm. like, uh, in, you know, like if you can understand the words, it can kind of pull you out of the journey. Uh, we start with a lot of ambient, you know, music, a lot of electronic music is is real useful in these spaces, but it's more like multi-genre. Um, we'll play some tribal music, things with drums and rhythms um, that might be more evocative. Um, 
I play a lot of cello music, you know, things that evoke certain emotions, um, a lot of flute music. Uh, and then another area that another genre of music that's really great is um, soundtracks from movies. You know, a lot of these uh, a lot of these songs are designed to uh, go with a, like a, uh, you know, epic battle or, a, you know, an adventure and things like that. And so those work really, really well. But there's a whole new genre coming out of, of uh, psych like music made specifically for psychedelic journey work. Um, you know, so I, I live mix my music, which is uh, a fun thing to do in these spaces. Mm -hmm. And I can kind of nudge people into certain directions or support them where they're going. You know, if like if somebody's having a you know emotional experience, I'll play soft, gentle, maybe a, a, a you know sad music to help support them. Or if I know they need like some uplifting, you know, some music is very, very inspiring and um, and uh, heartfelt and joyful. So I bring that in to help, you know, support people. But a lot of it's real adventurous music, you know, mm -hmm. something with a rhythm and something with a kind of a, a musical story to it that can support the clients and just staying with whatever is arising in them. Do you do anything you know, with the lighting also? Yeah, you know, we try to keep the lights down low, um, and then uh, eye coverings uh, are are there for people. There, you know, the more you, less light in a room or less light in your eyes allows for that um, inner visual experience to feel more. You know, just you'll be able to see it better, more visual. So, um, uh, so I'll you know, like we might have some candles and things like that going uh, to to create a nice ambience. Um, um, yeah, I used to work out of a basement that didn't have any windows. So it used, you know, in this basement studio. Mm -hmm. And that was really great because it felt like we were doing the work at night. And um, but now that we're in a office space, uh, they're like therapy offices, but more set up with a more set up to be a little more ceremonial in their in their expression. Mm. You know, little altar set up, things like that. So when you get people in and I guess you know, the first thing you're going to do is, is, you know, give them the medicine, maybe put the music on, get them in that relaxed state. Um, where do you go from there? Do you start using techniques, the therapy techniques that you use? Are you using a cognitive therapy? Are you using things like, like NLP type of things? Uh -huh. Or, like, like, you know, how do you get uh -huh. in there to, to fix what's broken? We Two primary orientations are mindfulness-based uh, therapies and somatic therapies when both are basically uh, ways to um, invite our clients to stay with their inner experience and noticing what's happening in their bodies as they're going through it. Trauma is stored in our bodies. It's in our muscles and tendons. It's like tension in the body. And usually when we you can invite someone to stay with a sensation in their body, um, it'll be like an entry point into deeper places of the work. So, so that's where the mindfulness practices to stay with the breath, to support them and staying focused on what's arising, while at the same time relaxing around it, um, practicing acceptance. So I have a practice that I call the five awareness practice, uh, which is a somatically informed mindfulness guided um, collaborative meditation. And so you know, so we just invite people to notice what's arising in their felt sense, their physical sense, energetic. You know, oftentimes people describe 
like energy moving through their bodies or they feel a lot of energy in certain areas of their bodies, uh, like their emotional state, how they're feeling, any thoughts or memories that are arising, and then any sort of visual acuity, like, like they might have, like they might see a symbol or an image. And so based on the answers to those questions, I'll support them in staying with and cultivating whatever the image is arising. And usually what happens is a um, internal momentum takes over and it just kind of unfolds from there. And me as a guide, I'm there to support them if they hit a little rough spot or if they tap into a memory that's hard to work with, things like that. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, provide a lot of support around that. Um, there's a program or there's a orientation called transpersonal psychology. And this is what I got my degree in, in school. Um, and this is like the theoretical framework of working with psychedelics. Transpersonal psychology was developed by one of the lead psychedelic researchers in the world, Stan Groff. And so using that theoretical orientation, you can kind of discern where a person is on their process and what levels they're working and use interventions to support them moving through that part of their process, so to speak. Um, so it's not necessarily a psychotherapy. Um, psychotherapy might be part of it for some of our practitioners. I, I like to think of it as more of a collaborative mindfulness practice um, where you're just supporting a person staying with whatever is arising. And um, in, in understanding Groff's work, there's this idea called the holotropic principle, which means if we get out of the way, if we remove... Um, uh, if we remove obstacles in our path, that our natural tendency is to simply move towards wholeness, healing, self-actualization, awakening, you know, like, you know, pretty big words. And, um, and, uh, and so a lot of what we do is we support that un underlying innate holotropic aspect of ourselves to just open up and, and grow. Um, uh, so it's like tending a garden, you know, like uh, you have to water the garden a little bit. And if, you know, if you have a big rock on top of a seed, it's not going to grow. But if you just you don't have to know how to grow the seed, you just have to remove the rock mm. and it'll grow naturally. And that's what we see all the time with our clients. Yeah. Hmm. It's, it's almost to me it's like I've done some like Buddhist meditation retreats, you know, like three or four day retreats. Yeah. And, you know, you'll sit for a couple hours, then you know, a teacher might come in and check in on you and ask you some questions about, you know, what you're experiencing, if you're having any issues, what do you need to overcome. That's kind of what it sounds like. Oh, there's like some coaching. So there's mindfulness things and skill sets, navigational skill sets you can teach a client how to do, you know, um, and support them. But it's like in the present moment. It's like the person's going right through it and they're describing what they're experiencing in that moment. And you can be kind of a scaffolding around it and support them in um, moving through it. Yeah, it's it's like our program's called Medicinal Mindfulness for a reason. You know, it's it's very influenced by meditation and other other Buddhist practices for sure. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so so when a, what kind of um, the, does this type of therapy work for any type of specific trauma or difficulty? over another type or does it work for all things sure um well we you know we attract a certain kind of population you know the people who are explorers and want to go deep into their process oftentimes we're attracting people who've tried traditional talk therapies and it's just no longer 
working for them or they've reached this kind of edge where they can't go any further. So think of it as like a tool, like in psycho, right? Any sort of psychotherapy, it's like a magnifying glass or a telescope or something. It's just like some, it's an added tool to any therapeutic practice that just amplifies our awareness so that we can, um, we can have greater clarity around it. Uh, most of our clients we're working with, um, we have a specialty in working with post-traumatic stress disorder or, or you know, like the spectrum of trauma. Somebody doesn't have to have full-blown PTSD symptoms to really benefit from this work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, PTSD is a symptom, a cluster of symptoms associated with um, having a difficult life experience. So anxiety, depression, um, OCD, um, tension, inability to sleep, you know, all of these are really beneficial. It's, it's like this medicine is like creates a catalyst that allows someone to finally access that core problem that where all those symptoms are stemming from. And so, so we were able to get in pretty deep. That's, uh, and I find it be more effective than just, uh, psychotherapy or, um, just a particular practice. Um, um, but we mostly are working, so we mostly work with trauma um, and then the clusters of mental health concerns that come around trauma. Uh, and then the other side is that, you know, it's not just about healing. It's about self-actualization, living into your potential. So we do a lot of life coaching. We do a lot of uh, um, uh, career support. People are transitioning into careers that are more meaningful than to them. And then uh, a lot of people are interested in psychedelics for like exploring the nature of reality and exploring their place in it, you know, uh, exploring the spiritual dimensions of being human, you know, so there's a big part of that too on the growth edge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, do, is the cannabis only used there for the sessions or do you prescribe people like maybe a certain strain or a certain type of usage to use outside of the therapy session mm -hmm. in order to manage things like anxiety and PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a medical doctor here that works with us and, um, and I, I've worked with other medical doctors as well. So there's uh, the use of cannabis as a psychedelic to do these big sessions um, to go deep. And, you know, and, and we, you know, we do a series of those sessions with folks and and but we're also teaching them how to do this, these sessions on their own as as they're going through the process. So they might do that once every few weeks on their own. Um, but cannabis as a daily symptom management tool is really effective. Um, so there's different strains and different cannabinoids. Some help people uh step out of depression they're uplifting other strains uh can help people reduce their anxiety and are relaxing there are cannab cannabinoids and other blends and things that are used specifically for sleep um, there's medicines that help relieve tension out of the body so uh, reduce pain you know um, and then and then this is a little outside my area of expertise but you know, there's a whole movement of using cannabis and cannabis products for the treatment of cancer. Um, uh, and, and, and that's becoming part of our program where we're supporting people therapeutically who have cancer. And then we're referring them to uh, doctors to receive guidance and support mm -hmm. on how to use cannabis to treat their cancer. Um, 
And then another area that's regular use would be like, you know, children with epilepsy is, is like, uh, CBD and, uh, is now being commonly used to help kids with epilepsy mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Um, so, so, you know, when I, when I'm coaching someone on using, um, cannabis regularly, I talk to them about the quality of the medicine. Um, I might be inviting them to step away from using pipes and shifting to vaporizers or uh, edibles, you know, and that way you can um, create a dosing plan that's pretty well um, uh, regulated, you know, it's not happenstance. So, so there's this idea called microdosing. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with microdosing, yeah, but you know, people are microdosing with psilocybin and things. Yeah. You can also microdose with uh, cannabis products. So there are sub psych, you know, sub perceptual, meaning they don't really make you high or anything, but they can drop that anxiety out um, or give you a perk so you can have a good day. You know, some people really need that. Sleep is such a major factor in people's mental health. So if somebody's not sleeping well, that'll be one of the very first things we really work to address to help them find some rest. Um, you know, you're going to go crazy if you're not getting any sleep. So. <laughs> I know that. Um, um, so what are some of the big differences between regular cannabis therapy versus the CBD stuff that you mentioned? Because I've used, I use CBD myself. Well, I actually have it yeah. in a while now, but I was using it for epilepsy because I have epilepsy. Okay. And, and also nerve pain. I had like a terrible nerve yeah. injury, like a, a sciatic type of injury that yeah. I couldn't even walk. And then after about yeah. six months of using, like, I mean, I was using like a really high dosage of CBD oil, you know, like 45 milligrams twice a day, mm-hmm. but it fixed it. Like, like yeah. I, I believe, like, like prior to using it, I wasn't, nothing was helping. And I started taking it. And like, the first thing was I didn't have to take any more um, ibuprofen. Yeah. I mean, I was taking, you know, 20 ibuprofen a day. I didn't have to do it. Yeah. And then That's over, great. and then over a long period of time, I got my feeling back in my leg and, and now it's just like a minor inconvenience. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. I'm super glad to hear that. Um, you know, so yeah, CBD is a neuroprotectant and it's also neuroregenerative. So it's not just numbing pain, right? Which is what ibuprofen would do, which is reducing our sensation. Actually, sometimes cannabis for pain actually amplifies the sensations we have in our body, you know, so, um, but turning towards that sensation can be and, and relaxing around it and letting whatever resolve to move through and clear, uh, can help, um, heal, heal. And there's, there's, uh, cannabinoid receptors in every cell of our body through our endocannabinoid system. And it specifically addresses, um, your neurology, right. But also our, um, uh, um, um, immune system, our autoimmune system, and it reduces inflammation. Mm-hmm. So what happens is over time, if you reduce the inflammation of the pain, it gives it enough room to start healing itself. And so, um, so that dosage of CBD, you know, like you, you take what you need and that's a, that's a good dose. Like that's a, that's a very fair, respectable, normal dose for dealing with something like that. Um, and I'm really glad to hear that it was helpful. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't even, I don't even have to take it anymore. Like now I'm fine. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I take you know. CBD every day as a prevention, you know? Yeah. Um, it's good for brain health, you know? So a lot of like the largest, uh, the fastest growing population are using cannabis products are elders. And, um, and the reason is that it reduces pain and inflammation. They feel better in their bodies, but it's also good for their brain. And, uh, so it reduces um, symptoms of dementia and other things, mm-hmm. and 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 because of that, they're able to get off of these other pharmaceuticals that have other side effects, mm-hmm. and so they just feel better, you know. And then as an alternative to, you know, um, ibuprofen is, you know, like that can mess up your gut. It's after, terrible you know, for your liver. Yeah, and your liver, right? So it's better for that, but also a alternative to opiates, which are you know killing people and addictive. Yeah. So. Um, so, you know, and adding, so one of the things we're learning is that like, for those of your listeners who are interested in this and yourself is you take a, you know, good amount of CBD and then just a microdose of THC with it. And that X, that little bit, like one, one milligram, we're not talking like a lot at all, you know, or two and a half milligrams is mm-hmm. considered a typical microdose of THC. You add a microdose of the THC to 20, 30, 50 milligrams of cbd and it'll make it even better and sometimes you can reduce your cbd intake because it is expensive you know so mm-hmm. yeah, um, I was paying ways to reduce 100 bucks a month for it but it was yeah. worth it yeah yeah um with the cbd you know i can i know there's two different types there's the broad spectrum and this full spectrum and there seems to be a lot of debate on which one is the most effective for pain management so I don't know the that terminology of broad versus full. I know full spectrum versus like isolates or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, like just just the CBD versus the other cannabinoids and the terpenes. Uh, I'm a fan of the full spectrum if you can get it. Um, I think there's other chemicals in the full plant that amplify and and the terpenes being one of them. So when you hear somebody say full spectrum CBD. That usually means they're, they've kept the terpenes in it, um, which, again, um, it's like the entourage effect. Are you familiar with the entourage effect where no. like each of each of these different cannabinoids and the terpenes create this structure or this effect that's bigger than just the con- constituent parts? Um, so if you can get full spectrum, it's really good. Isolates are like stripped down to just the CBD. And mm-hmm. so you some products you can only get isolates, but if you can get full spectrum, it's really good. I'd say another area that you really want to focus on is is the medicine grown organically, um, and uh, and and least processed the better, you know, because um, sometimes there's chemical residues and things from either how it's grown or um, or the process of extraction. So learning about that process and asking asking the companies and things about about their right. growing practices is really important because some of these chemicals are you know are not good you know and um and, and this medicine isn't as regulated as some other products so but there are good there are really good companies out there one of the things like i would do when i was buying it is um i would look for companies that have had their product tested by a third party and then yeah. you could check the results is that a good way to go yeah. Yeah. And there's certifications now mm-hmm. that different uh, cannabis companies can get. There's one called Green, um, <clears throat> excuse me, like Green Clean, which is basically the equivalent of FDA organic. Um, but yeah, getting the, getting the third party, um, 
uh, analysis is really important. You know, where are you located, Gary? Where's your, where, where do you live? I'm in New Jersey. Uh, yeah. Are they, are they legal there? Is, is cannabis legal there yet? Um, I think, I, it, I think is. it just, it just happened. I think it just happened. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I believe so. I, I just moved here a few weeks ago from New Jersey, okay. I mean, from, from Alabama. Alabama, okay. cannabis. Definitely not legal. <laughs> well, it's, it's, not, it's, it's funny, it's not legal, but CBD is everywhere. Yeah. And some of the CBD places, they kind of sell it under the table, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and the farmers down there are really want to grow it. Man, the South would be a perfect place to grow cannabis, you know? So, it, so, it would so be they want so it. beneficial to the economy to grow it in the South. I'm from Arkansas originally, and it just medic. I think Alabama is on the process of medicalizing medical cannabis, and mm-hmm. Arkansas is now medical cannabis. Um, but we need to get these fields out of the out of the uh, warehouses and into actual fields, and and the uh, South would be a really great place to grow it if they weren't so prohibitive. Yeah, it's a shame. Is the stuff grown in a, in a field and outdoors much different than the stuff that's like grown like hydroponically? Yeah, you know, um, there's something special about real sunlight, uh, for sure. Um, it's not always possible to do it. Like in Colorado here, you know, half the year it's, uh, too cold to grow, you know? Um, right now the, the big trend is not hydroponics, but, uh, what's called live soil mm-hmm. where people are, um, really cultivating healthy soil and they're even growing them in trenches so that the, there's studies out now where the where they're no longer just in one pot per plant that the actual plants themselves communicate in these trenches and will share nutrition based on which plant needs what and so there there are people growing them in these wonderful organic live soil yeah. trenches with you know um, and that's fun to watch and they're using um, essential oils instead of chemicals to um, keep the bugs down and keep them from getting moldy and things. So mm-hmm. there's a whole science around, around cannabis. It's, and then the, the lights they're using are full spectrum, you know, things that would be in space, you know, yeah. like used on, you know, to grow food on Mars kind of stuff. So it's getting pretty high tech. Like I know when I was a kid, we used to try to grow it. Well, actually here in New Jersey, we used to try to grow my grandfather's garden. Cause my grandfather had this garden. Like he'd grow all kinds of vegetables and stuff. And we, we would grow it in there. We would get a plant and we would dry it. But, but after we dried it, though, it was basically crap. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was just like nasty dirt weed for some reason. I don't know if it was the seeds we were using. Or yeah. Man, you know, so the genetics of these of these seeds are like big business right now, you know. So, like, there are, there are real specific um, genetic types that are... Uh, like 30 plus percent THC and we didn't have access to anything like that as kids and then the nutrition like the nutrients you're adding to the soil make a really big difference so that you know those two would probably be the primary factors of of growing um good good cannabis I I don't have the capacity to grow it to the degree that Mm -hmm. you know the professionals can but yeah um and then there's no pesticides you know like when you know when you when we were younger and you get like brickweed or whatever like that it would probably be drenched in all kinds of chemicals and pesticides and what i found is that like the cleaner the medicine 
the less negative side effects. It's not the weed that was bad. It was all the other crap that was put on it that was really probably the most unhealthy for us. Mm. Um, and then the, like, you know, like there might be more CBD in some of the older versions of, you know, the weed that we used to get. Um, and then the THC content, maybe 10%, right? So it might be like 5% CBD, 10% THC. And that would create a real stoner experience, kind of couch lock and flat. Um, now you can get 30% THC, no CBD, and it's just really elevating, uplifting. And you don't have to smoke more than a puff or two to really have a powerful experience, mm. you know. Interesting. You know, you know I, I would say, like, when I was a kid, the best weed I ever got was Thai stick. Thai stick was freaking amazing. That was definitely, like, the highest quality, most potent thing that I could get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That shit was good. You know, I didn't start getting good weed until college you know it's like when people were growing it in their dorm rooms and stuff and like importing seeds from amsterdam you know that mm-hmm. was part of the the theme there you know so i was i think tie sticks were a little before me and i grew up in arkansas too so I, like we didn't have hardly anything there mm-hmm. you know so, you know so yeah um how about the use of cannabis for disorders such as autism and other mental disabilities like that's becoming a thing now too uh-huh yeah and, then, and the studies on mdma used to treat autism for social anxiety there's others, you know so there's other factors there so you know autism would be a neurological disorder so anything you can do to increase your brain health would be incredibly beneficial i haven't had a lot of opportunities to work with people on the autism spectrum we you know um um uh but I would say ongoing use, like regular daily use for autism would include um, mostly CBD to reduce social anxiety mm-hmm. and maybe just a little THC to um, potentiate the CBD, but also like give a little more energy and a little more focus, like mental focus. I would be curious to see um, see this research on that. I think there are people looking into that. We're also We're also working with teams of researchers who want to study uh, THC and CBD for physical brain injuries, you mm-hmm. know, traumatic brain injuries and things. And it uh, looks like CBD with a little bit of THC is the way to go with that. Um, and then that we're using the therapeutic practices to help heal the psychological and physical uh, trauma itself, um, you know, in the muscle and in the mental landscape. Um, but then the CBD is what's healing, literally healing the brain. Um, uh, psilocybin microdosing is also one that's being used more for um, like mental neurological brain health. Like it, psilocybin for the brain is like a vitamin specifically yeah. designed for the brain. It's it's really helpful. It regrows it regrows neural pathways and yeah. things. My, my understanding with the psilocybin is that. It's actually like only active in the in the brain for like a short period of time, and it's actually the after effects that that, that really do the work. Is that true? The psychedelic effects, or yeah. the yeah, yeah. Most of these LSD is also only active in the body for just a little while. It it seems to be like a catalyst, like psilocybin, LSD, these other psychedelics. They're like a little key that tweak something, it tweaks a, a pattern in the brain, and it 
and it's a catalyst it'll and then from there it's just the brain taking over so all of these psychedelic experiences we have it's not really the medicine doing it it's it's, it's us natural it's, brain it's yeah it's us it's our human potential it just gives us it reduces some of the things that inhibit us from accessing and it amplifies certain other aspects of the brain to um to make it more explicit and then the brain just takes over you know it's these are natural traits of humanness you know um with your therapy um and you taking people on journey and, and I, I imagine too like you mentioned earlier it's like you have people coming in just just basically to investigate their selves and their consciousness and awareness um yeah. Have you had any people come in and have like um, spiritual experiences or out of body experiences or yeah. astral projection and things like that? All the time. It's it's super common. Um, spiritual experiences, you know. So a lot of people, and and you can see it. You can like they they describe it as an astral projection like experience, like they're. And oftentimes people will be flying into through an inner landscape or flying through the cosmos. Some, some people, it even looks like they're doing some sort of remote viewing, you know, mm -hmm. or they can travel back and forth in time. They can um, they can access maybe it's like an Akashic Records type metaphor or something like that, where they're able to access not only their past lifetime, you know, like their life, but they can access beyond this life to things that would be either described as like ancestral or past life experiences. Those are real common. Um, but people are also exploring future possibilities and are able to map out, like if they have a goal, they can imagine this goal in the future and see them in the scene where the goal is happening. And then they can trace back and explore the edge of how to make it happen. That's really common. Um, Another area that's really common would be entering transcendent states of oneness, um, unity consciousness or ego dissolution, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's that can happen on cannabis, too. We, we see people like they merge with the white light, things like that. Um, and then, you know, as a visual medicine, people will have visions of like the wheel of samsara. Um, they'll start to understand like the spiritual nature of who they are, they'll connect with their soul, you know, like the level of their soul. Um, and then sometimes people channel, um, you know, like they're just like all of a sudden something turns on and they're just, they're just speaking from some bot, you know, some expression of self that's like really smart and really wise. And at those points, I'm just writing everything down for them or, you know, so, um, so the transpersonal or spiritual dimensions is, you know, like the primary orientation. And then from there we heal, you know, like I, I really believe in that. Hmm. Have you had any people come in and have this type of experience and then afterwards um, have like enhanced psychic abilities just that, that, that were a result mm -hmm. of the psychedelic experience? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I would say that usually comes from ongoing practice. Mm -hmm. Um you know, so I've experienced that myself. I'm just like super intuitive now and and I can feel into certain things. I'm more of an em empathic than like telepathic, so to speak. Um, you know, so I just get like deep intuitive hits or I can connect with what someone is experiencing in a big way. Also, you know, um, a visual awareness, like seeing auras and things like that. You know, it's like a mix of like, am I really seeing it or is this just like part of my imaginal um synesthesia you know of what i'm you know what i'm conscious of you know that's not uncommon 
in, in, in my book, I talk about how to develop this as like an ongoing practice. And again, the more you remove the obstacles or, or difficulties caused by trauma, just the greater access you have to your full potential. And I think like what we would call psychic abilities are just natural traits of human potential, right. you know? So, um, so like to me, it's normal, it's natural to mm -hmm. access these spaces and, and you know, kind of work from that level. Um, took me a while to realize that not everybody was as aware of some of the things I was, you know, because it was just <laughs> me being me, you know. Um, but yeah, we see this all the time, especially with our students, people who uh, there's also like I, I was looking at your list of, um, you know, topics and things that you've explored. There's also like psychedelics can be used to enter alchemical practices, you know, in the seven stages of alchemy and, mm -hmm. and like self-actualization and individuation, things like that. And I think greater capacities and abilities just are, by, are a natural byproduct of these self-realization processes that we we can step into. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, plant, plants are part of nature and we're a part of nature with them. And I think we're meant to work together with these plants. Um, ha have you had yeah. any people do like um, any type of like plant communication? What was that part? The, like like plant communication or to kind of merge with the cannabis? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the cannabis spirit will show up as an image or mm -hmm. a, a symbolic archetype. It's like a uh, like a goddess or a, like a feminine spirit right. um, or connect like it's like a, or the feeling of maybe not, our, you know, like our personal mother, but like the great mother, um, somebody who is like infinitely compassionate and accepting. And sometimes people will merge with it and feel it in their bodies or sometimes they'll communicate with it and there will be like the plant will have a real specific message um, to help that person and whatever it is they're going through. Just as like you would like a, a kind, loving, deeply caring mother would, you know, it's just very compassionate and supportive. Um, so that's not uncommon at all. I've I've met the spirit of cannabis many times and you know she's like a shapeshifter she'll show up mm -hmm. in different ways at different times sometimes like an elder sometimes like a, a young feminine others um like the like a mother you know um sometimes warrior like you know uh but she's like an idea provider she gives us really good ideas to help make our lives better you know? Uh, you know, that creative problem solving aspect mm -hmm. of cannabis, you just get good ideas on it. You know, it's like, what if you made a science of that process? And, you know, it wasn't just random anymore, but you could dial it in and get get an answer to a problem that you're really working with. Um, and it just lands in your lap. It's it's the most amazing thing. So what is it you think? Um, I mean, cannabis was used in in the, you know North America by by the, all the you know the indigenous people and stuff you know before we got here, and then when we came here you know, the, like the founders of this country were using it regularly you know I mean they even wrote freaking um, constitution or declaration of independence on it you know um, on him paper yeah yeah and then it becomes illegal the 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 the, the criminalize it. Yeah. Why do you think that happened? Do you, do you think that there was um, 
some type of suppression going on where they knew that, that people having access to these things would enhance their mental abilities and cause them to become more disobedient and take away power mm. from them? Or do you think mm. it was a drug company thing or, or all of the above? Mm. I, or, or do you even think it was su- not suppressed? Maybe you just think it was just ignorance mm. on their part. Yeah. Well, I think they're, they're like, instead of just one factor, I think all of the above is probably an appropriate way to describe it. You know, if there was like a consciousness suppression thing, we're talking like right after World War II when it, you know, when it was becoming um, criminalized. Before that, hemp was essential to the war effort. There was a whole movement to grow hemp in the United States because um, in World War II, we lost access to hemp imports and it was a major problem in our Navy and other other uses. And so there was a concerted effort to grow more hemp in this country in World War II. But then after that, what you know, what you saw was a confluence of um, issues, one of which would be racism you know, just straight up racism, Mm -hmm. Uh, Hispanic populations using cannabis. um, uh, And so there was like, there was just like kind of a unconscious fear around that. Uh, Racism was a big factor. But then racism was used as the reason for other, other agendas. And the two primary agendas would have been like chemical, you know, like chemical, uh, Purdue and other companies were coming up at that time, and cannabis was a primary competitor to a lot of the chemical chemicals that were coming out. And then paper, so the tree industry, you know, making paper, mm-hmm. they they wanted to kill cannabis to um, get rid of the competitor to tree paper. Um, and then later in the 60s and 70s, or early 70s, uh, was the uh, Nixon's war on drugs, and so cannabis was used as a way to put activists in jail, right? You can't, you can't, and then also African-Americans, you know, so, um, and so you can't just put somebody in jail because of their political activism, but most of the radicals and activists were smoking pot. And so that was how they would, would come after people. So it was a coercive control mechanism, you know, Um, and that there, you know, like there's medical issues too, like cannabis, you know, used to be able to get, cannabis prescribed to you cannabis oil prescribed to you and and so there was a medical agenda there as well um and cannabis you know like it kind of tricked us in our legalization it it started out with medical marijuana was a huge part you know and just helped you know as part of the movement and then under and then under recreational use cannabis kind of hit itself as like a drug like alcohol it's not any worse than alcohol so there was a correlation you know like it's not bad. It's just like alcohol. But the truth is, it's psychedelic. It's it's a straight up hallucinogen. So I think, you know, the spirit of cannabis tricked humanity into <laughs> re-legalizing it so that it could re-infiltrate, recolonize um, in a good way. You that, know, that was going to be my next question is like, why, why do you think now all of a sudden it's coming back and coming accepted and, and, and legalized? World needs it. You know, I think, you know, so underlying spiritual reasons, I think the world needs it. Um, we're deeply injured as a society and we also need good ideas, you know. So there is a push to freedom and um, liberation that I think is a major factor here. And then and then if you want to look on like surface level reasons, people realize they can make a lot of money, you know, doing doing this work. And so there are 
companies and organizations now that realize that they can get on the bandwagon and and make a ton of money. Uh, you know, and some of these some of these organizations are still attempting to control consciousness. You know, and and to um, uh, what's the word? Um, like uh, have an agenda around it, but I, I trust the medicine itself to be more powerful than that. You know, like call Oklahoma, for instance, major red state in the union. It has more dispensaries now than California. I know um, that. You know, and so like I'd be curious what you know culture of Oklahoma as an example would look like five, ten years from now. And that's kind of a case study um, uh, of if it would change the politics of, mm-hmm. of a whole community. That's that's a question I think is. Like, I love the idea of it, um, but I don't know if if it's going to really happen. But I think it's better than not. You know, yeah. I, think, I don't I know think if it'll it, change you know. the community, but it, it is it, it is accepted in those red states. Like, even in Alabama, you know, like, like, like there's, there's a lot of cannabis users there. Everybody who smokes pot, like, there's cannabis users all over the world. You know, everybody, you know, like, mm-hmm. again, maybe I'm a little bit, um, maybe my uh, pool of, who I'm talking to is a little different than most people's, but more often than not, people are using it and some are not disclosing it publicly or sharing it with friends. Some people are hiding it. Some people can still lose their jobs over it. So there's still a lot of fear and stuff, but mm-hmm. in areas like Colorado, it's just, it's just normal now, you know? Um, and that's how California, all the West coast. Like I can travel here from here all the way to California in all legal states now. And I can also travel all the way back to Arkansas where I'm from in all legal states. And and eventually we're going to have federally legalized. Canada is federally legalized. Uh, Mexico, I believe is federally legal. If I'm, I think I believe. And then, um, and then, you know, like our federal governments, even the Republicans want it to be legal now. Um, and so that I would expect within the next five years, it would be federally legal. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know hundred percent, you know, I think there's a lot to figure out, right. You know, on the federal level, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. be at all surprised if it were federally legal in five, 10 years at the most, hmm. you know, maybe less. So what do you think about the use? Like, like say like, like there's people, you know, people in recovery that are recovering from things like heroin or alcohol yeah. addiction, you know, and things like that, where they're doing, you know, basically daily maintenance, you know, for the rest of their lives to, to, to break that addiction. Do you think cannabis is safe for those people to use, or do you think that it could be a trigger to send them back? Yeah, in the right container. I mean, from a harm reduction perspective, cannabis is way safer for you than pills or heroin, you know, even way safer than alcohol. So just as a way, just as a straight up harm reduction, switch into cannabis or, you know, one, it'll start help people reduce their dose of whatever other substance they're addicted to. The CBD is a neuroprotectant, but it also reduces anxiety. So you can think of it as helping with withdrawals. Um, so usually the best way would be um, you put you put the cannabis treatment for addiction within a bigger container. It's not just replacing it with pot, you know. So uh, a lot of times people with addiction have um, nutritional deficiencies that lead, you know, that affect their increased cravings and amplify withdrawals and just make them feel uncomfortable. So so you add a nutritional component to it. You add THC or CBD for a daily maintenance alternative to these medicines. Again, they're not harmful to the body. 
Um, so they're way better than opium or heroin. Mm. Um, and then you add uh, some sort of counseling. You know, we have a couple of addictions counselors on our in our program. Um, and, you know, so to help coach someone on creating different habits, you know, and ways to cope with a craving shows up. So usually what happens is people will, if they're transitioning from a addictive drug, they'll start pretty heavy with cannabis um, to get off of whatever medication they're on or, or drug they're on. And then they're able to titrate off of hmm. cannabis after that too, especially if they're addressing nutritional deficiencies and they're getting some coaching around how to engage habits and, and such. Another, another um, medicine that we work with though is ketamine. And, um, and that can reset the whole nervous system. It, you know, it can like, it's, it's like there are people are researching this now ketamine for, to break habits and addictions, it can, it can drop the craving. It can drop it down 90% to almost like not, um, you know, like hardly nothing levels. Mm -hmm. And so ketamine is kind of a reset can help bump, you know, start the process of getting off of an addiction, addictive medicine. Um, but I think, you know, there's, there's even, um, whole addictions, um, institutions, you know, like uh, uh, inpatient treatments facilities that are bringing in cannabis as a bridge treatment modality to help people get off of harder substances. Um, they, there's like, a, I think there's, it's kind of colloquial, but they call it Cali sober, where you just smoke a little pot and that's your drug of choice versus getting drunk all the time or mm -hmm. using pills and stuff. And uh, so there's whole there's residential treatment facilities that are using cannabis to help people with addiction. Yeah. You know? So so what are, you know like like some people like just different like like twelve step programs in recovery. They're, they're basically like like you tell people like you just can't touch anything because it's going to set yeah. you off and send you down the wrong wrong road. Do you think that's false information now? Well, I mean, what, one of the founders of AA, I believe it was Gordon, if I'm remembering. It's been a while since I've Bill studied Bill W. This. Is his name. Yeah. Yeah. Bill, Bill W. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he I believe he wanted to bring in LSD into the treatment plan of AA, and, mm -hmm. that, and nobody was up for that. You know, this is just say no um, orientation of abstinence only. That's a little, you know, my opinion, I consider abstinence only is a little outdated. Um and that there's also a harm reduction approach where you're just helping somebody minimize and moderate and reduce harm as, as initial steps to abstinence, so on and so forth. But you got to remember cannabis specifically, but LSD, these are psychedelics. They're not mm -hmm. just drugs that like numb you out or, um, or help you escape. You know, when you take a L LSD and you're an addict, like you got to face your demons. And so, and so usually people are way less likely to relapse if they bring in a psychedelic because they're confronted with their own mortality. They're confronted with their own uh, decision-making processes that lead, led to this. They, they, they become aware of the consequences to other people in their lives, you know, and the harm that they've caused. It's like right in your face. And so usually people who use psychedelics to reduce addiction, they don't relapse into going back to these drugs, um, the addictive substances, you know. Um, again, though, it's not a cure-all or anything like that. I just want, you know, like, just want to name that piece. Like, we have, 
we have medicine friendly addictions counselors here, you know, people who who are educated on the use of psychedelics and cannabis and can help people get off of other pharmaceuticals or hard drugs, alcohol, um, and, and create a non-judgmental, non-shaming space to talk about drug use. Mm-hmm. And usually people, if they just accept people where they're at, they start to heal instead mm-hmm. of shaming them into you, you can't do anything or you're a terrible person if you relapse once and things. So, um, so it's a little bit bigger picture. These aren't magic bullets per se, but they right. make it possible, which is what sometimes what mm-hmm. people need. Yeah. yeah. Like the one thing I wonder about is like the definition of sobriety. Like, like, you know, I, I wonder if that's something that now needs to be readdressed. Like what is right? Is sobriety, the abstinence of all mind and mood altering drugs. I mean, should it be that, or should sobriety have to deal with intention more? Yeah, right. Yeah, are you escaping? Or are you turning away from, um, turning towards in your medicine use? There's, you know, so there's the functional use of anything we in, ingest, and some are to help us our bodies move forward. Some are, you know, to keep us hydrated. But then there's medicines and substances and herbal remedies that alter our consciousness um i think maybe sobriety is about just like not doing something that's explicitly harmful Mm -hmm. you know and psychedelics are non-addictive psychedelics you know usually people don't like you can get addicted to the to the idea of psychedelics and use them all the time you make it part of your life but we're not really talking about that you know like most times people who take psychedelics are taking them once every season maybe once every six months like it just goes it just is very contrary to this idea of i'm using a substance on a regular regular or daily basis to get high you know Um, you know so i don't see any uh, conflict with using psychedelics Mm -hmm. for healing with um, an intention of sobriety and Um, also like the microdosing changes it too because because you're using those those chemicals at such a low level that you're not really escaping, but you're getting the physical benefits, the neurological benefits of them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and even, you know, it's not, there's, they're considered subperceptual if you're microdosing. So you're not getting high at all, but what, what, what you are getting is more relaxation, more access to self. People are generally more emotionally regulated so uh, and they're cognitively more creative when mm-hmm. people microdose. So in a way, you're becoming more of who you already are, you know. Um, and it's not again, and it's not damaging like a psilocybin microdose regimen isn't, you know, it doesn't negatively impact your body or brain. Like, say, if you were to take, um, you know, benzo every day or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, like those are those are addictive and damaging. So these are like nutritional vitamins for the brain, for yeah. our for our neurology. You know, like I know when I was a kid, I went like on a three month angel dust binge where I smoked angel dust every day for three for three months. <clears throat> and I was never quite the same. Um, like like, what do you yeah. think about PCP? Does that have any type of medicinal benefit yeah. or is that something that people should write off or like it's another one that people used to use a lot um, uh-huh. they used to call it boat it was like formaldehyde or something uh-huh. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, so these are substances that are neurologically damaging and toxic, mm-hmm. you know. So even if they like, and I one time I had a student, you know, this was a student at Naropa who said he had spiritual experiences smoking meth, you know, and so like there are ways to access altered states and you can enter into positive experiences on hard substances. You know, think of cocaine, it's like creative and energetic, right? But there are real physiological consequences to using these substances regularly. And so, so what happened was, you know, with the PCP, you got, you know, your, your neural pad, neural transmitters just got depleted. And, um, and over a long use, it takes a while for it to just recover. And so you can, you can fix that or support the healing process through added nutritional supplements. Amino acids are a really Mm -hmm. big part of that, but sometimes you got to regrow your neural pathways and, that's where psilocybin comes in, ketamine, I think LSD to some degree, um, ayahuasca, all of these medicines are literally regrowing the brain, you know, mm-hmm. so they, th- those, that injury can be healed, you know, so, and, and, you know, like, you know, you can have neurotoxicity from uh, MDMA, you know, is neurotoxic. And that's why um, the researchers talk about only using it for a short series before quitting to help heal trauma. You know, so even some of the medicines that are regularly used are neurotoxic and uh, even today. Um, but CBD can help heal that piece. Um, right. Yeah. Like um, I say, like CBD is helping immensely. Mm-hmm. I'd say keep taking it, man. You know, like seriously, it's I think it's going to be the health, like the best thing for us as right. we get older. It's just a mm-hmm. hundred bucks a month, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd expect the price to go lower as it becomes more federally, you know, right now it's federally legal, but there's still some real constraints. Um, but I hear you. It is expensive. But it does work. It, it is certainly effective. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was better for my liver because now I don't have to take all that ibuprofen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. And then for your stomach, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no side effects, no negative side effects no. like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, 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 it's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, it, it, I can't really even, I, I mean, I could. It's, it's one of those things, like, I couldn't pitch it enough, you know, mm-hmm. especially for neurological disorders. It, it's almost, it is mm-hmm. like the miracle drug for, for some, at least for some neurological stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's saving these kids' lives who have epilepsy. These kids have no, you know, like they're having so many seizures that they can't even develop. They can't grow up. And so if you're having 20 seizures a day Mm -hmm. and you're on hardcore medications with severe side effects, you know, like that's debilitating. And then all of a sudden these kids like Charlotte's Web was one of the first CBD strains that really um, brought that to the forefront of attention. And these kids were going from... 20 seizures a day to not having a seizure ever again, you know, and, um, and they're able to grow up. They're able to, you know, in the families, you know, like the support that the families receive. I couldn't imagine being a parent and having to hold my child that many times a day as they're seizing, you know? And I wonder Um, too, um, you know, like, like those are obviously extreme noticeable seizures, but with those type of disorders too, there's people who have it in a very subtle way or they're just spacing out or they're stuttering or um, like mm-hmm. having ADD or OCD type of effects, which could also mm-hmm. possibly be types of seizures or neurological impulses going mm-hmm. on in the brain that maybe CD, CBD could 
could assist mm-hmm. with taking care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so imagine, and even like CBD with just a little THC, and then some sort of mindfulness practice that you can cultivate mm-hmm. in your in your practice in your like. So if somebody's like you know an adult, you know, who's struggling with uh, like a mild seizure disorder or or OCD or ADD. You know, it's like adding in meditation, working with focus and learning how to confront and engage um, intrusive thoughts and not just buy yes. into them. You know, so it's so it's like it it makes it possible, you know, um, uh, which it's like flying, you know, like you can ride a bike down the road or you can, you know, be in a plane and fly, you know, like CBD and other medicines. They just make something possible that wasn't otherwise possible before. Um, whereas the mindfulness might not quite be enough. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm an advocate for these medicines, you know, and they've been, minim- they've been demonized and minimized for, you know, 70 plus years now or more. So like we, you know, we have a lot of work to do. A lot of people still have these, um, incorrect misunderstandings of what these medicines do or think they're just intoxicants and they're truly something special. You know, they're really, uh, I identify them as a sacred sacrament and um there are some other practitioners i know a woman who's an herbalist and she's like i think the tree of life or the uh, cannabis is the tree of life and if you look at like old pictures of the tree of life they you know in in ancient texts they look like pot um, bushes you know like um you can make paper you can make um clothes you can make concrete and then you know you can live off the med you know you can eat it and um and it's good for our neurology. And then it might have been some of the first psychedelic medicines used in human by humanity in early days, you know. So um, it's a powerful tool. It's a super powerful tool. It sure is. Um, so before we wrap this up, I want to thank you for coming on. This was a great episode. I learned a lot. And um, I appreciate where, it. Where can my listeners find you and get your book? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, our center is medicinalmindfulness.org. You can just Google medicinal mindfulness and you'll find us. Um, my training program is psychedelicsitterschool.org. You can just Google psychedelic sitter school. Um, and we teach people how to facilitate these journeys and also do them for themselves in that practice. And then you can, uh, the name of the book is called Psychedelic Cannabis and it's in bookstores and on Amazon. Um, and uh, I tell people exactly how to make uh, psychedelic blends and how to use it for transformational healing purposes, but also how to make it and turn it into a spiritual practice and um, like a like a practice of, you know, self-actualization, you know, like, um, and then um, another big important area, which I just want to name is creative problem solving, you know, like, using cannabis to help engage big questions in life and come up with big, you know, important answers, just that right there can shift the whole, your whole path of life. So I, I, I definitely recommend using cannabis as a, as a good creative problem solving tool. So, um, so that's me. We also have a lot of good social media. Just Google medicinal mindfulness on any of the social media. You'll find us. Well, I'll put the links to your website and to your book into the notes of this episode so my listeners are listening they can go and check it out and get your book and look at the training courses available and all the other information that you have there yeah thank you so much gary i really appreciate that you're welcome it was a pleasure having you thank you and just hang on for a moment while i play the outro okay thanks for having me thank you 
message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen 